Well, today is a special day. It's the day before July 4th, and our nation was uh, started on the Declaration of Independence way back when in 1776 on July the 4th, uh, when the Continental Congress declared independence from uh, Great Britain or England that set off a revolutionary war that took a long time before we were able to win our independence develop a constitution and the Bill of Rights and secure the freedoms that we uh, enjoy and experience as citizens of the United States. One of those freedoms, of course, is the freedom of speech, but I think for us, the freedom of religion, that we're not compelled to be of one religion and we're not compelled to be quiet about our faith. There are individuals out in the world today who think we are a bad country, a bad nation, and they don't want us to speak about our faith and about the walk that we have with Jesus Christ or talk about how that would impact our nation and our citizenship as we serve together. We've been reading through the book of Philippians and in Philippians, citizenship is a very, very serious and important thing. Paul is writing, first of all, this letter to the church at Philippi from prison. And the reason that he is in prison is that he had been arrested for talking about Christ, about sharing the gospel. And that would have enabled him or the various peoples around the, the world where he was doing his missionary journeys to literally kill him, to execute him uh, locally because he was claiming that there was someone other than the Caesar who was Lord. And he appealed to Caesar because he was a Roman citizen. And he was very proud of the fact that he was a Roman citizen. And those who had Roman citizenship had freedoms and rights. And they had the ability in the end to appeal to Caesar. Philippi, as a Roman colony, also had, for many of them, Roman citizenship. It was an honor. It was a proud thing to be a member of the Roman Empire. It's a proud thing for us today to be a member of America. I have a good friend who traveled all over the world working on various oil rigs and other places, and he told me that the greatest thing of all was to come back home to America, and he wouldn't want to live in any other country, any other place, because there are other uh, states and nations, but they don't measure up to the freedoms that we have. And those freedoms we need to cherish carefully and respect, recognizing that they're not free, but they require diligence on our part to make sure that the constitution of our nation and our leadership and our uh, country uh, follows those citizenship's uh, requirements and uh, the Constitution, which is based on the God-given rights that we have and our faith in God. So we have a citizenship as well that we're proud of, just as Paul was proud of his and the nation, uh, the church at Philippi was proud of theirs. But as we celebrate this uh, great holiday, and you've probably seen a number of uh, flags out there and fireworks and all other kinds of things. We also as believers in Jesus Christ must remember that we have a dual citizenship. That's what Paul is trying to share with them. As a matter of fact, we have a little bit of a nuance to that we're gonna talk about here in just a few minutes. 
But Paul reminds the church at Philippi and us that we obtain, when we come to know Christ Jesus, a citizenship in a different country, a different kingdom, and that kingdom is seriously important. And actually, in the end, we determine that how we are citizens of heaven makes a difference in how we are able to function as citizens of our own country in a way that gives God glory and gives honor to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul opened this question up in chapter 1, verse 27, which we've already covered, when he said this, just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. He already introduced the idea that we are citizens of heaven. So we're going to talk about this, and the very first point that we need to understand is our present reality. Paul replies again to the church at Philippi in almost the same terms to indicate that there is, on their part, a dual citizenship, a dual citizenship that we have as well. So in verse, uh, chapter 3, verses 20 through 21, I'm going to read this real quickly here. This is what he says. Our citizenship is in heaven. This is what Paul says. And we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Now this statement is integral to the message and the meaning of the book of Philippians where Paul is trying to address to them certain circumstances that they're struggling with. One seems to be pride and self-centeredness and conceit and he's trying to get them to be unified just like he tries to be uh, unified with other believers as they preach the gospel and Paul says you know I am suffering here. We're going to suffer for the gospel. We're going to suffer for Jesus Christ. But we're also living in a kingdom that's different from this kingdom that you're in. The, Philipp the Philippians needed to know that they had one foot in the kingdom, the Roman kingdom, and another foot, so to speak, in the kingdom that came to them from Jesus Christ, who is Lord and who, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and everyone will confess that Jesus is Lord. He's already talked about that, or we'll talk about that, and we'll get to that in chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. We sort of skipped ahead to get to this July 4th holiday. But he says in chapter 2, verse 10, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And, verse 11, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. Now that statement, confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord, is exactly what landed Paul in jail, what he was arrested for, and what he was charged with, with calling Jesus Lord and not Caesar Lord. The Roman nation, the emperor, was supposed to be called the Lord, the main, and even, even possibly attributed godlike characteristics or became God himself to his citizens. But Paul was saying, no, Jesus is Lord. And in the end, God is going to do this 
we're going to have to bow our knee to Jesus and we will have to confess that he is the Lord. So he's reminding the Philippians that we have this dual citizenship. That's our present reality. Verse 20a, he says, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Now the old versions use the term conversation because the word here, really we get the word politics from. But politics means how we act, how we do things. And Paul is saying the goal of the believer is to recognize that how we act has to agree with, uh, acknowledge, and uh, uh, comport with our understanding of us as believers, as members of Christ Jesus, as his servants. He is the Lord. He is the king. He is the coming conqueror. And we need to serve him. So he says that whatever you do in acting in your life, your conversation, your conduct, your politics is how he's using the term. You've got to recognize that you are smack dab as a citizen of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. In Jesus's great commission, he said, all authority is given unto me under heaven all dominion, the kingdom that is to come, Jesus is the ruler. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the emperor, if you will, but God has placed him there and he will establish his throne, the throne of David forever. All of the prophecies talked about the fact that the one from who would come out of the house of David would sit on the throne of David forever and ever. And the person who's going to occupy that throne is Jesus. So he's saying that's the kingdom we need to think about. We need to understand in our present reality that while we may have to pay taxes to Caesar, we render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but we give to God what belongs to God. All this dual idea goes through Jesus's teaching and ministry because the Pharisees were trying to get him to say something against the Romans and ultimately the Pharisees and those who condemned Jesus to die made it possible for the Romans to carry out the execution. They had to bring him to the Romans in order to put him on the cross. So there's always this tension. But as believers, we need to make and recognize that we are part of the citizen of heaven. My little granddaughter was born in Okinawa, Japan. I asked my son, Daniel, now does that make her a citizen of Japan or a citizen of the United States? He said, no, she was born on the base. She's going to be a citizen of the United States. Some countries, because you're born there, will say you have the opportunity to become a citizen. And there are individuals who carry dual citizenship around. I know some good friends who are citizen citizens of Israel as well as the United States. And Israel allows that dual citizenship. We have a dual citizenship and our citizenship is dual because we may have been born here or earned that citizenship as the United States. But when we're born again, when we come to know Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we enter into the kingdom of heaven. And Paul wants the Philippians to recognize that, to keep it in their minds. Because there's a tension here. 
Everything we do out there in our country, the United States, has to be tempered by the fact that we're also citizens of the kingdom of God. And Paul had already told them in chapter 1, verse 27, at the beginning, that as citizens of heaven, we need to live our life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That means we live here as citizens of America, worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I grew up in the late, well, I actually was born in the 50s, and I remember very well in the 60s and the Vietnam War and all the protests and everything that was going on. And I remember the phrase, my country, America, my country, love it or leave it, right? Well, the point is that no country in the world is perfect, and America is not perfect. It's very good, and I'm proud to be a citizen of the United States, and I love my country, but I also love Jesus. And so the tension I have as a believer is to share in my country in America what it means to be a citizen of heaven, because I need to live in a way that is worthy of the gospel. I don't want to hide my citizenship in, in heaven. Nor do I want to debunk or throw away my citizenship in America. I want to be a good citizen of my country. Paul tells the Roman in the book of Romans and others, he says, be a good citizen. You know, pray for your leaders. Do what is right in your country. But remember that the tension is always there to judge and weigh your actions based on the gospel of Jesus Christ and our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. So there's always this tension that's there. How do I live in a way that gives glory to God? I might have certain freedoms to do things in my country, but if I exercise those freedoms, do they trample on and betray and go against my faith in Christ and, my, and making Jesus the Lord of my life? So I'm called to make sure that I live in a way as an American citizen in a way that shows my citizenship in heaven. Now that's a tension, and Paul's trying to tell them this. They're Roman citizens. Now, Rome wasn't a very good country. I know that America is so much better than Rome was at this particular time. They were ruthless. They killed people. They, they, were, uh, they, just, they were not a good country. But Paul's trying to say, if you live in a Rome, in Roman citizenship, in a country where you have it, live in a way that shows the gospel. Now, here's part of the tension that's very important and certainly applicable for us today. If they stood up in, Roman, in a Roman citizenship under the Roman government and named the name of Jesus, they would be persecuted. Paul had appealed to Caesar, who happened to be Nero, and Nero was known for giving the Christians, sending them to be food for the lions. So if they stood up to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, worthy of the gospel, they faced persecution and possibly death. But Paul had already addressed that when he said earlier to them, by the way, he's in prison and he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's saying that if I live, I'm here, I can help you. But if I die, I go to be in the kingdom of heaven. And he's going to talk about that in just a few minutes here. But the point is that we have this tension to realize that if we name the name of Christ, 
we might face persecution. We might face suffering. As a matter of fact, that's already happening in many, many places. Places where you're told not to say anything. You can believe things, but just don't talk about them. Just don't bring your opinions to the workplace or to the public square. Don't say anything about biblical theology or biblical doctrine or Christian faith. Keep it to yourself. Last time I heard, that's what the devil likes us to do. But if we stand up for our faith in Jesus Christ, we might indeed suffer. Well, how do I know? Well, look at the example of Paul. Paul's letter to the church at Philippi is all about Jesus being Lord. But Jesus being Lord is what got him in trouble and he's in prison suffering and he will die a martyr's death because he named the name of Jesus Christ. Even in America, we may face persecution. We pray that that won't happen. And we also pray that we will never take that for granted, that our nation is so nice and great that we can live a life without ruffling anybody's feathers, without rocking the boat, without standing up for Christ. Because that's exactly what Satan wants us to do. Because if we're quiet, he wins. If we say nothing, his agenda is put forward. But if we stand up, you can just absolutely bet on it, if we were betting people, which Baptists aren't, you can bet on it if we don't stand up that he will take advantage of it. And when good things happen in our country, you will see people come out from all over the place and decry it and rail against it and say that it's wrong all because it doesn't keep the evil that they want to continue. And you can take that as a, as a true thing. It's happening now in the abortion debate because there are people who are going to attack us. Churches, pregnancy support centers, because we believe that abortion is wrong. And they don't like that. And we have to stand strong and faithful, even though it may mean that we will suffer, that we will be persecuted. Paul is trying to tell them this issue of having a dual citizenship isn't just a minor thing. It's a major thing to love America, but to stand up in our faith and to show America what we need to do as believers in Jesus Christ. How to love and show real compassion and share with them how they can find soul satisfaction in knowing God and coming to Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. And how being part of God's kingdom is really what matters for all time and eternity. And not just a way to get our heavenly fire insurance to throw at Peter when we get to those pearly gates. The point of living as a believer means that we recognize and we respond to the fact that we're partly, we're already citizens of heaven. And to live as a citizen of heaven while we're citizens of whatever country we belong to, in this case, the United States. And that, I believe, will make the United States great is when they're able to bow the knee before Jesus and to confess that he is Lord. The second point here is what Paul said about our continuing expectation. In verse 20, he says, he tells them that he wants them to live to make sure that our citizenship is in heaven, 
but he wants them to remember that we also eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a kind of a, we've got it, but not yet. It's our salvation, but yet to come. What Paul says here is he's saying throughout this, all of this epistle, this letter, that God is going to establish Jesus on the throne, but he isn't there yet. The kingdom hasn't totally come. There's a doctrine of it here, but not yet, which means that we're waiting, that we're serving, that we say things like Maranatha. Do you know what Maranatha means? It's literally an Aramaic word that means, O Lord, come. That we're expecting the second coming of Jesus Christ, that we pray for it to come. If he doesn't return and we lay these old decaying bodies down in death, we trust that he's going to raise us again in the rapture and we'll meet him in the air. We have this living hope, Peter called it, that he's going to come and he's going to be enthroned on the throne of the universe and the kingdom of God is going to come truly and completely and we will bow at the, name, at the feet of Jesus and shout hallelujah and give him glory and honor. So Paul is saying to them, this is our citizenship, but you've got to understand that we are eagerly awaiting them for its coming, its consummation. The word here, um, let's see, eagerly wait means to literally with anticipation and excitement and with, with expectation to await for that kingdom to come. And who is it that will bring the kingdom? The kingdom is the Lord, the, the king will be the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've already read chapter 2, 10 and 11, where every, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the king, the Lord. He is coming. The king is coming. He's not here yet, but he will be. And all the other nations of the earth will be defeated and subjugated to him. All of Satan and, and Satan's evil minions will be defeated and subject to him. Now, I know that there's a new minion movie out there, you know, with these cute, cuddly little creatures, but Satan's minions aren't little, cute, and cuddly. They, Satan and his minions don't want the kingdom of God to succeed. They don't want us to have this expectation, this living hope, this joy of knowing that it's almost here. Jesus is going to come and we eagerly look forward for him to come and we live in a way that he is coming. We live in a way of expectation, of joy, sharing with others our hope. Our hope is that Jesus will come in the clouds and will take us to be with himself and we will be forever in his kingdom. That's what Paul is trying to tell the Philippians. Paul remembers in jail. How's he going to get out of jail? Well, when he was first at Philippi, the earthquake came and all the, the chains fell off of all the prisoners and they're standing there having a worship service in the jail. Nobody's leaving. God's great power and might will do it. And Paul is trying to tell them, look, you don't have to worry. There's no reason for depression and morose ideas. Oh, no, they're going to persecute us as Christians. Oh, look. Jesus is coming again and he will vindicate his loved ones. He will vindicate the righteous for their stand in faith. We don't have to worry about what other people like us. I think the biggest problem sometimes with us and with Christians is we want everybody to like us. 
And so we won't say anything or we won't stand for what is right because we think people won't like us. But we have to stand for a biblical faith. We have to share what the Bible says. There was a um, member of parliament, I think, or something over in Norway, over one of the Norwegian countries that got in prison because they read the biblical text on homosexuality. Because they were trying to share what the Bible said. The world doesn't want to hear this. They want us to be quiet. But we eagerly expect Jesus to come. And when he does, he will vindicate us and he will say, which is what we really, really want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Jesus wants us to be good and faithful. Paul is reminding them that, look, our citizenship is in heaven and really what you need to know is that we are excited, we are awaiting, we're eagerly looking for the Savior who will come from heaven, from there. And he is not just Jesus of Nazareth. He doesn't call him that. He doesn't, he, just, he says the whole name. And not just Jesus Christ, he says the Lord, right? The Lord Jesus Christ. And this issue of the Lord Confessing Jesus is Lord is a big deal. It's what got him thrown into prison anyway because he appealed to Caesar about it when he called Jesus Lord. See, we have this expectation that we await for him to come. I don't know. I think sometimes Christianity um, loses that, that edge of expectation. I mean, we sing songs and some of those are... They're great, wonderful worship songs. Some of them were like prom songs to Jesus, but you know, and but there's there should be an expectation in our in our worship, an expectation in our faith. Here's what it is: we've got a Savior who's coming, and when He comes, it's going to be amazing. He's going to vindicate us. He's going to defeat the evil. He's going to establish the kingdom. It's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be super. And we need to live in that anticipation that we have a Savior who's coming. We don't have to be depressed about it. We don't have to be morose and sad. and uh, But Jesus is coming. Praise God. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. We need to be busy at work because he's coming. Because we don't know when he's coming. And we don't have the time to wait. we got to do it now. We have to tell people about Jesus. We have to help them come to know that he satisfies. It doesn't matter what our circumstances are in life. He satisfies. And we can eagerly await for him to come. It's an expecting, a joy that I think sometimes churches lose. And they're sort of just sitting around waiting, but they're not excited about it. They're not living it in such a way that, well, gosh, what's happening down there at that church? What's happening with that person? There's something different about them. They have this air about them. They have this life about them. And that life is the expectation that we have a Savior who's going to conquer the whole universe and establish his kingdom through God's power. As a matter of fact, the last thing, number three here, is that coming establishment of the kingdom is going to radically transform, transform not only us, but the entire world when Jesus comes. This is what Paul says here in verse 21. He says, he, who's he? Jesus. 
He will transform. Now, this isn't the word metamorphosis, but it's a close synonym, meaning to totally transform the body of our humility or humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Well, that's a big verse, and it really deserves um, uh, Im, unimpacting, or what's the word we're going we're gonna to use, to figure it out and to expand it and to give us a deeper sense of what he's saying. He throws all kinds of stuff in here, and this verse is so important for us to understand what he's saying about our citizenship in heaven and what we're saying about Jesus coming to take the throne. How can he do that? Why can he do that? And here's the reason why. Because he's going to change everything. He's going to clean house. He's going to get the dirt out. He's going to scrub and spick and span everything according to who he is and what he is. And as the Savior, he's going to make it right. And he can do it because he's got the ability and the power to do it. So this is what Paul says here. First of all, he goes and says he will transform. He will. He's not going to leave things the way they are. He's not going to leave things half done. He's going to make a transformation. It will be the change in the form of something. Everything is going to be different. The whole world is going to see that this is different. No longer will evil prevail or have it's opportunity to try and bind people and enslave people to sin. Now God's light is going to show through. And the true meaning of the cross, the death of the Jesus on the cross, will be vindicated and will be presented to the world as the answer in God's kingdom. This transformation Jesus will do. And he will do it literally uh, in the body of our humble condition. So here's what Paul is trying to say here. This body, he means the church, the believers, and this humble condition, he refers to two items, I think, if we have to read back through the Philippian letter to get this. One of the things he's saying is that he's asking us take to take the mind of Jesus the humility of the mind of Jesus, uh, looking out for the interests of others and caring for others, not worrying about ourselves. And if we are persecuted, not worrying about vindication. If things are taken from us, not worrying about the fact that they're taken, but we have a better home yet and we have an expectation that Jesus is coming and that expectation goes on to say, that he will make everything right again. We'll be vindicated. Our humble condition, the fact that we are subjugating ourselves to the world for Christ's sake, that we're willing to present Christ to the world that they might come to know him and to be willing not to give evil for evil, but to give love and grace and care where evil abounds and to show them the light of Jesus Christ, that we're willing to do that and we aren't being vindicated. We may be struggling, but even so, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to transform that. He's going to change it. He's going to make it what it should be. 
and we're going to be vindicated and we're going to be seen as faithful servants and Jesus is going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the glory, my glory, and we'll be able to have one of those mansions in heaven and we'll have crowns, uh, hopefully stars in our crowns as the song says. Will I have any stars in my crown? Yeah, if you serve him and you'll be seen as someone who is faithful because he is going to transform the body of our humble condition into the image or likeness of his glorious personality, his glorious body. This word glorious is the word doxology. I mean dox, we use the term doxology to speak blessing. He's going to change us into his glory. We're going to be like Jesus. And he's going to be able to change this so the world says there's a follower of Jesus. There's one of his servants. Because see, he's going to vindicate us and he's going to bring us into his kingdom. And we're going to be able to serve with him. Rule with him this kingdom. And the whole world will know that we are his. And we may have to suffer for a while. But when he comes, he's going to change it. I may be in prison, Paul says, and he knows that he may be killed. But when Jesus comes, he's going to vindicate Paul. He's going to change it. There's this living hope that we have that Jesus not only satisfies us now in our walk and faith with him, but will satisfy us truly for all eternity and will be his and he will be ours and we'll serve him and walk with him and grow with him and have the blessings that he's going to give it. And I like the last phrase, by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Paul adds that there. What does Paul mean by that? Well, what he means is that Jesus said all dominion is given unto me, all power. Well, you say, wait a minute, what does that mean? The word um, power here means energy. Literally is the Greek word energy. He's going to be able to change us into the likeness of his glorious body. This old decaying old human body will be changed into a glorious body, our, our heavenly body that he's going to give us when we're transformed to meet him in the air if we die or when, when he comes and we're alive, we'll, we'll go to meet him in the air anyway. We'll be transformed into this glorious body Paul's talking about this because his body at the moment is racked with pain. He's been beaten. He's suffering. He's facing deprivation in prison, right? But he's not going to have that kind of body. He's going to have a glorious body that Jesus gives him by the energy of God. Not our energy. Not the kind of energy that comes from the electric tower. The energy that God gives. That energy is given to Jesus all authority, all power, all dominion to do that. Now the word here that means enables him, the phrase in the Christian Standard Bible that says enables him, is the energy of his dynamite. Let me say it that way, you know. When Jesus said all authority, all power is given unto me, and Jesus is able to do it, it the Greek word there is the word we get dynamite from. He is able. It has the power to do it. It's dynamite, if you will. In other words, dynamite changes things. And the energy of his ability 
comes from God. And it is his energy, that ability that God gives him, that power, that glory, that position that will subject every single thing to himself. You got to go back to chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. This is, this is the statement of this wonderful hymn here about the mind of Christ and the mind and desire of God, which we're going to study, the Lord gives us time. But here it is. The thing is, we will be transformed. And it won't be us, not me that does it. I mean, I, I don't really have any spiritual power, neither do you, to make us any wonderful. We're still sinful human beings. We still struggle with sin. We're still tempted by sin. We're still almost drawn over to the dark side, if you will. And yet the point is that we don't have to be that because we hold on to Jesus. And it's his power through the Holy Spirit where we can conquer temptation, where we can make sure that we don't fall into sin. We can hold on to him, and it's his energy and his ability that keeps us faithful, that keeps us straight, because we keep looking to him, and we keep holding on to him. We keep going to the cross. We keep letting the Holy Spirit change us and make us into the likeness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, we have this, this dual citizenship, but we need to understand that our citizenship in the world is made possible, is developed, and grows because of our citizenship with Jesus. It is Jesus who can help us in that tension. I don't think Paul means here that we are to renounce our citizenship where we are, wherever we're living, to the Philippians or to us. So we stop saying that we're citizens of our country and go stand out on a hillside in, in white garments and wait for Jesus to come back. That's what the people at Thessalonica did. But Paul, I think, wants us to understand that to be a good citizen of the country that we live in, we have to first be a good citizen of heaven. We have to let the, our citizenship in heaven, where Jesus grows us, trains us, changes us, the Holy Spirit guides us, enables us as we yield our hearts to him to be faithful citizens of the country in which we live. Now, in some countries, to do that means certain death. And you can read about it and read Christian news. There's a place called Christian Post and several other things. And they talk about how many people have been killed and persecuted and executed, if you will, beat up and murdered in the world because they stood for their faith in Jesus Christ. The Lord is blessing us in the United States and we need to take that, not take that for granted, but be thankful to him that we're not there. We could be, but we're not. And we need to then recognize that we should never take it for granted to live a whole home Christian life. Let's let the status quo go and, and not really standing up for faith for our Lord and Savior Jesus when we need to in the public square, where we work, in our homes, and in our lives, so that we recognize that it is the power of God himself through Jesus Christ 
that can transform us because God has given Jesus all power, all authority, and everything will be subjected to him. Because he has all this authority and power, we are to go and make disciples and to baptize and to teach everyone all the things that Jesus commanded us. Do you see what Paul is trying to say here? You have a dual citizenship. Go out and exercise it. Go out and be faithful so that other people will see, yes, you're a great citizen of the United States, serving our country and working hard to appreciate and to, to protect the freedoms that we have. But they'll also see that we belong to another kingdom, and that is the kingdom of God. And we are members of the kingdom because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We're going to stand in just a few moments. I'm going to ask the musicians if they'll come and we're going to sing a song about when we all get to heaven and that's our goal that's where God is calling us to recognize that our citizenship is there but meantime before we get there we need to be faithful citizens of the United States sharing Christ as the answer let's stand and sing when we all get to heaven